Um, what was the biggest hurdle of running a fitness company during the during a pandemic? Uh, was would have been keeping up with stock levels. To be honest, that it was, you know, you sort of go through x amount of years, and you know, that gives you data on inventory levels that you need to maintain for a period of time. That you know, something like a pandemic, it, it's who knows anyone's guess really. Um, at the beginning, you know, you sort of everybody I think assumed that um, people would be tightening up with their money, but it, it obviously went the other way with fitness. So being that everyone had to work out from home and everything else, so it just went from zero to hero overnight. Um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty crazy time. How did you um? How did you? How did you and your family go through the Corona period? Yeah, look, it was it was great for us because. You know, we've got a 15-month-old now who at the time would have been, you know, not even a year old. So for us, it was fantastic because, you know, and, and, I, and I say that, you know, with all due respect for everybody that, um, you know, it affected really negatively. But for us personally, um, we were still able to do all our work. We were still able to, you know, send orders out. Um, but also meant that I spent a lot of time with my family. My, my eight-month-old, I spent... Yeah, pretty much from when he was born, because uh, Corona hit not long, not long into 2020. He was only four months old, so yeah, it, it meant I spent the majority of his life with him, the start of his life with him. So for us, it, it wasn't a terrible thing personally, um, staying at home and enjoying those first few months. Yeah, no, 100%. Now, look, I'm always really interested in knowing you know, how people get into entrepreneurship or what drives them towards doing entrepreneurship. Uh, you know, I, I've always find it fascinating to know whether people had little starts earlier in their life, right? Like, um, you know, whether a lot of business people were the same kind of people who maybe were going out there and buying lemonade and making a lemonade stand. So, you know, tell me like, what was your first like version of, um, of doing this sort of like of, of being an entrepreneur? Yeah, so, um, yeah, so, you know, always, always had a, a drive in me to do something. Um, so, I, I can remember it back to a kid. I, I would, you know, we lived, grew up on a farm. So, you know, my dad, on a weekend, he'd build a fire. And his fire was never, you know, we'd spend all day putting all the trees that had fallen down over the last couple of months together to build a fire. And I, I, for whatever reason, personally, I could help and happy to help, but it didn't mean a lot to me until I could quickly run off once we'd finished years to go and build my own. So it was always about, even for a kid, about building my own from scratch. So, you know, I'd run off and I'd go and build my own little fire and I'd have it off to the side. So, you know, growing up through life, it was always a case of I would use, I would, you know, get assistance from everybody around me to have something of my own to, to, to work on as a project, you know, whether that be buying muesli bars from my dad's convenience store when I was little and then selling them at school, you know, and then growing up, dad, a friend of his, his business was looking to go broke, we bought that um, and then I took that over, so then we sold that uh, probably maybe eight years ago. How long, um, how long, costume um, business, kids costume. Yeah, how long did you, um, how long did you run that for? Uh, so I ran that pretty unsuccessfully for about, uh, I think maybe three years, yep. maybe more. 
yeah, probably between three to four years. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a day. that was a learning curve. That taught me a lot that I know now and a lot that I use now. But what, what, it, uh, what was the biggest lesson you learned about that or through that? Uh, so e-commerce, that was what that was the biggest lesson. It, it taught me everything I know now about e-commerce. Um, it was. It also taught me about you know what margins it takes to run a business and you know successfully. You know what margins and. And also to taking into consideration marketing costs into per sale uh, or breaking it down to a per sale um, basis so that, you know, it's making sure that well, like a, a dropshipping business, for example, is, is a very difficult business to run and maintain for a long period of time because you're, you've just got no dollars left for marketing. So there was huge lessons in that for me. Um, dropshipping drop, uh, drop is the, that's, um, explain to people what dropshipping is if they don't know. Yeah, so, uh, which was the costume business that I had uh, for a fair, for about 60% of our products. So dropshipping was, we built relationships with suppliers, um, and what we do is we would take an order, whether that's through our website, through eBay, Amazon, whatever platforms we were using at the time, we would then, once that order was paid for, we'd send it off to our, our supplier, and they would actually pick, pack, and send that individual order. So they'd have a huge warehouse, you know, two, three, thousand square meter warehouse and they'd go and pick individual orders for their customers uh, you know their customers like me so yeah they uh they would you know that was the drop shipping sort of model that you didn't carry any product and then you could just only pay for what you sold yeah and what's what's your take on drop shipping now um well my experience has been pretty horrendous i <clears throat> i don't think there's a long-term sustainability in that model i think it's it's a very much a get in get out type model i feel you you not only need to have a lot of a lot of product so with that comes in you know the issues of not having the knowledge around each product as well i find with drop shipping you know i had two i think i had about two or three thousand lines so you know there's a lot of products that i never even saw so when i was getting questions about products I was using my knowledge on the products that I'd actually had seen to then take that or make that judgment call. But yeah, it's a yeah. I don't think it's a sustainable. A lot of the time, it's 10, 12, you know, fifteen percent if you're doing well is what you're making per sale. Yeah. So you think if, if you know if there's a mistake, if you've got to resend something, ship costs and everything else taken into consideration, you've lost money, which means you've got to then sell. 10 items to make back that money to just break even again it's not yeah I've seen people out there that have been successful at it but I I think for every person that I've seen successful I've seen you know nearly 20 per person that hasn't been successful including myself yeah and the reason why I ask that is because um, I see this all the time come up on maybe actually less so than I used to but I would actually get um, like the YouTube ads for that sort of stuff all the time like um do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, so to anyone who doesn't know yeah. what I'm referring to, there's lots of these. Um, I mean, this will happen to anyone who's in any sort of uh, business, who's, who's in business full stop. I think you'll be targeted with ads about how to make a quick buck in business. Um, and a lot of the ads that you'll often run in, there's one with this Australian guy who really pushes, like when Amazon first came to Australia, they really started pushing it. So they sell you like these, Amazon courses like on how to drop ship with Amazon and, and blah 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 and you know it's it's a, it's like the pretty classic like it's too good to be true and 
you know, I think the thing that I hate about all those ads personally is like you and myself, like we both, you know, we both have run multiple businesses and it's, it's really hard to run a business. Like there's definitely easier things to do. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> like, like it's not, the, it's not the easiest option. Do you know what I mean? Um, there's like perks to it, but it's not, it's not the easiest option. And, um, I always get really frustrated with these ads because they make you think that just starting a business is just like a, a piece of cake. So I've always been really interested in those drop shipping businesses just cause, um, I guess from my understanding, it looks like essentially you're just being like a marketer for the warehouses to sell their products and you're getting like some sort of commission or kickback from it. Correct. Yeah. And that's, that's where I, I think where you could have success with it is my knowledge is not around, you know, Google ads, Facebook ads, um, all that sort of stuff. You know, I have a team that works with me and, you know, we're now quite successful at what we do. We, we have our ebbs and flows, obviously. We have our ups and downs. But, you know, it's it's not something that comes supernatural to me. You know, my, that's not my... What I bring to GD Fitness is not that side of it. Um, so, for me, when I was dropshipping, I feel like if you were super involved and you were fluent in that you could do it yourself i think that's where maybe you could see a bit more uh, you know a bit more sort of um bang for buck in drop shipping but even then we've got the cost per you know the cpc's cost per click at the moment is for most campaign on google ads and um on facebook ads i really don't see the money being there but, yeah, but yeah it's again i'm doing it anymore so whether or not somebody has come up with the magic uh, the magic formula. No, exactly. And I think that's like with any business, right? Like you can probably make anything one work, any one thing work, but um, just because it works for one person doesn't always mean it's going to work for everyone. Mm, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, what, what got you into like a fitness business? Yeah, so um, again, sort of learning from my, you know, after the costumes, after that business, um, I, I learned pretty quickly that I am a passionate seller. So I can sell when I'm passionate, and, and I have drive when I'm passionate. And and you are, and I can and I can attest to that. You you're very good at that. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's something that I passion really shows through my work when I when I have it. Um, so something like the costumes, there's no passion. There was, I did it because I wanted to make money. Drop shipping sounded easy. Um, you know, I thought, oh, this will be good, like I'm sure so many other people do. Um, and I learned pretty quickly that I didn't like the product, wasn't into costume parties or anything like that, so it, there wasn't much love in there. Fitness has always been a um, real focus in my life. I competed Muay Thai, jumped in the ring a few times um, professionally or as an amateur, sorry, and, um, you know, loved it, absolutely loved it, got addicted to it. You know, trained every day. Um, absolutely addicted I was, and then had a couple of injuries. I actually had a couple of fights pulled uh, by the opponent, which really annoyed me. Um, and so that sort of, I started getting into bodybuilding a bit more then. So I started putting on a lot more weight, uh, a lot more muscle. So I sort of had to step away from the point side side because I was too heavy um, for the category that I was fighting in. So yeah, really again got addicted to that. Loved it. Um, and yeah, so I sort of found that that was a passion and for a long time wanted to see how I could make that passion, I guess, a, a form of revenue, a revenue stream for me, our business. And um, yeah, that I sort of, I, I actually, I went to China 
um, I went overseas, so I was invited by my sister. Um, I guess more as a bodyguard than anything else. She was a bit scared. It was the first time she'd ever been to China. Yep. Um, our our dad, my sister, our dad is um, an importer from way back, so he, he's done that most of his life. So he's seventy four now, and he was, you know, he, he's sort of settling down and retiring. Um, but my sister has started to ramp up in her own business, and. So dad took us over. Um, my sister Amy said, you know, if you want to come, I sort of, you know, dad's 74 and I'm, I'm a young girl. How about you come over? <laughs> so it was a bit of protection more than anything. And um, yeah, I sort of started meeting a few suppliers and started to, I was there to, I guess, assist my, assist my sister. Did my own thing for a couple of weeks and made some fantastic connections and started then coming back and designing a couple of the products that I wanted to import myself. Um, because you know a lot of the products I'd used over the years were some were great, some were pretty poor. You know, it was it was all sort of over the place. So yeah, I, um, yeah. Um, that's pretty cool because like a lot of a lot of people um, will ha- will do some sort of business internationally, but never actually take the plunge to go over there and see what the places are like and all that sort of stuff. What what was that like? Yeah, so that uh, it's interesting. You're so right. I'm, you know. You probably go so far to say these days that 90% of people that bring product in probably don't go. Um, and again, I think that's a little bit of a, a scared um, factor that people are, oh, I don't know. And, and it was, it was really sort of an eye-opener. You know, I, I traveled all over the world um, through my sort of 20s and late teens. And um, yeah, it was like nothing else I'd experienced China. So it was it was really good to have the connections uh, through Dad. So, you know, he had 20, 30-year connections over there, which was just, was amazing. It, it meant it meant so much in, to us and, and still does now. We probably haven't really, you know, mentioned that to Dad. Like, it's something that you, we rely on heavily now. So, um, yeah, so no, but China was fantastic because the thing with China too... <clears throat> is that without going so a lot of the products that I've now done I I will tweak and change and I will you know sometimes you've got to reinvent the wheel but sometimes you don't so you know there's a lot of things over there that they can do people think oh it comes from China it must be cheap it's not the case so how it works in China is if you want you know call it a drink bottle if you want the world's cheapest drink bottle that is you know cost next to nothing They'll do it. They'll go back to the factory. They'll make the bottle the thinnest they can possibly get the plastic. You know, it'll become a Mount Franklin bottle, pretty much. You know, it'll be the cheapest lead. It'll be the cheapest straw, all that. But if you go to them and say, I want something that lasts, you know, and, and start coming up with ideas and, and back and forth with their design team, they'll make you the, the Nike drink bottle that lasts you years. Yeah. It's all made in the same place. It's just, you know, same factories. They've all the ranges that you can do. So that, that was, and that's one of the... That takes, I was going to say that's one of the stories that I'm, I remember hearing years ago from about the weightlifting plates. So somebody was telling me that the Elico, which would be the most expensive weightlifting plates you can get, you know, it'd be like, I think it's like $350 for a 10 kilo plate, are made in the same factory as like the, you know, the no brand generic bumper plate that just has an E. And they're just like, you're just paying for like a higher quality version of it or a less high quality version of it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I saw it all the time. And, and people are a little bit, I think, naive um, in, in the way of thinking that, oh, it's made in China, it's cheap. 
that that half the time is not their doing; it's our doing. You know, we you know people go to you know the Chinese manufacturers and chase the absolute cheapest, but they they don't see that if they pay you know that touch more, people come back. You know, it's it, if you one thing that GND is so heavily focused around is quality of product, quality of service. Now, and that's that's a throwaway line for so many businesses. That's a yeah, we do that too. But there's so many businesses that, that actually don't, you know, they'll go and they'll check the cheapest product. So when you're negotiating with, you know, with a Chinese manufacturer, if you're saying that you want it at half the price, they'll make it at half the price, but it's not the same product. Yeah. You have one it made at half the cost, which means half the quality or half the thickness, whatever it may be. So durability, you know, longevity is all being compromised because of the negotiations. So that's where, like I heard a story years ago that, a huge um, American mattress company negotiated with their uh, supplier in China so much that like they reduced their cost by like 40-50%. So what China did was they went back and worked out how they can make that mattress cheaper. So they took out like 50% of the springs, nearly 10% of the, the thickness all the way around the mattress. So you know what, what the American company got was not what they wanted because well, they you know they got a version of what they wanted. Well, it it, it, it looked like the product, but yeah, it wasn't yeah. the actual product anymore. <clears throat> that's right. That's exactly right. So, you know, when you negotiate, you need to you know when I was negotiating with my with my suppliers, it was typically quantity made the difference. You know, that was the big difference. If you'd say I want exactly that, or you know put your modifications, I want exactly this. You know, this with X amount of modifications. That's the what I want how much and then negotiate on exactly that that way you're getting a fair price you're not being overcharged and then as your quantities start to build every time I reorder I'm always negotiating you know if I'm doubling my quantity or whatever I'm always always negotiating because there's always a little bit of room and if you could just take you know if you can try and get little bits here and there it all adds up at the end of the day yeah um, no that's cool and uh, I think a really interesting thing to um I guess to talk about when it comes to um, quality and stuff like that, uh, this is like a little personal story, um, and I'll, I'll try and plug your business in here. But um, you know, you guys sell bands, for example, like resistance bands. Um, and I know that to everyone, a resistance band might seem like same, same. You know, whether it's a branded one or an unbranded one or whatever. Um, but I remember years ago, Kmart started doing uh, resistance bands and ropes and etc. And uh, I've always actually just been really, I've always just enjoyed buying fitness equipment. Um, and when I saw theirs was so cheap, like I remember buying like a whole set of their bands and whatever and just trying it out at a gym and they all broke within, I think, a day. Because they, they looked like a band. They kind of they kind of felt like a band. <laughs> but they, it wasn't really a band. Like it wasn't actually made, I don't think it was made to actually ever be used. Like, like they all broke within, literally within a day or two. And, um, and it's funny, like, uh, resistance bands can be like you know more or less expensive and they can look the same and it's like a it's probably one of those products where people can probably feel like maybe I'll just skimp out on price on this but um it's 100% like uh, one of those things where the quality it just immediately came through like the difference between a, a more one a, like a, a branded one or an unbranded one or you know just a cheap Kmart knockoff absolutely yeah and it's um, you know we're you know, at the very beginning, we had some really generic products um, that you know you probably see all over the place. You know, maybe a, a Kmart or a, or a 
whatever, and we were all the same sort of price, um, you know, because they weren't expensive, you know, they were eight, six dollars, something like that. So, you know, who you bought it off. But they're the products that we started to get away from because it's not, you know, yes, you can increase quality, but a lot of the time people are a little bit, um, you know, we'll keep we'll keep the variations, like for, like a perfect example is like the little mini thin booty, booty band. Yeah. You know, they're like one mil thick. Everybody has them. So what we've done is we went and made the resistance bands, like the long resistance bands. We actually went and got them shortened to make them into booty bands. Yeah. So they're like heaps thicker. They're, they're actually a bit smaller and high, but they're a lot thicker. So they last for a while. They're fantastic. Um, so, you know, and we found, because gyms were buying the little ones and we were finding that, you know, they were reordering all the time. And eventually it became a matter of price because there was no difference. So that's when we sourced this other product where out there we call them our ultra booty band. And yeah, they're, they're one of our best products now because of because of that difference. They last, uh, they're, they're, you know, a lot of girls too were finding they're getting really strong that they're doubling, tripling up on the booty bands. Whereas with these, yeah. There's, there's three levels and a lot of people struggle with the heaviest. So okay. Yeah. Yep. Really good. Um, how did you, how did you I guess kind of decide to stick to the line of products that you guys sell? Well, <clears throat> it probably wasn't a conscious effort to stick to what we're doing now. We we started very small and what we did was we as as a product became successful in our eyes, uh, we would then expand the range. So we sell a, a skipping rope, a, a speed rope, so it's a four mil rope, um, and it's, um, it's got a, typically a black handle, and they became really popular. Mm-hmm. So we went from a all pink and an all black to heaps of variations. So we now, I think, have nine variations of that. So that is sort of our product rationalization that we have. If, if a product sits, if we're not ordering a product, maybe at least every, second shipment so we'll bring in container loads so if we're not getting a product every second shipment where you know it's not something for example perfect example is lacrosse balls we've got a lacrosse ball it's i think because of the the market everybody has lacrosse balls again it's a good quality product but they're a very slow seller it's probably not a product that i'm really going to stock again we have you know a few other products in that range massage ball range that are phenomenal we're ordering them every time and we're ordering them in the thousands you know each color we're ordering a thousand off so you know um it's something that we'll continue to do you know if something doesn't sell um you know we, we just sort of are fading them out because it's you know um you got to make room for products that do sell you can have a lot of money sitting on a shelf as any you know entrepreneur will learn especially starting out having money sitting on your shelf having it sitting there tied up in the product it's, it's it's not really good for you because it's then, you know, it's, it's either money that you can't use to buy something else that will sell or it's just eventually going to deteriorate so that you're going to have to sell it cheaper. So, so I, ha- I, have a, worth I have a ten- Yeah, I have a question here about, um, I have like just a, a very curious question. So, um, most of the businesses that I've been involved in have been service based businesses, um, or online businesses where you're selling an online product. Um, I've only I've only been involved in one um, product-based business, which was a clothing line where we just made like an initial investment, got X amount printed, and then um, we just actually decided not to continue with it at a certain stage. We made our money back, but that was kind of it. But I've always found it really interesting when people do um, 
businesses where you're kind of constantly having to reinvest money to get more product. Um, how, do, how does that work? Like, do you start with just like one initial investment and you just see how that goes or et cetera? So <clears throat> initially we started with a small investment. Um, it was something that we, we just moved to Adelaide and we got to the stage where um, you know, we were sort of, I wanted to, I wanted to jump in to, to doing something. The fitness brand was, was what I wanted to do. So I started off with a small initial investment. Then what I did was I, I funded, I, I used my initial investment to buy a product and then I funded the marketing myself. So I was using my wage because I was, you know, the work full time. I was using my wage to then um, fund the marketing side of it, so that I could continue to use the the product money, if you will, to continue to buy products. And hope, you know, that the plan was eventually that you know there'll be enough money brought in to be able to pay for the marketing as well. And that's obviously what happened. But initially, we had to invest, I think, uh, into the first three shipments uh, we had to put a little bit of money into because I kept expanding. Um, did you, um, did you, uh, was this all self-funded? Did you get like investors? Yep. Yep. No, so all, all self-funded. It was, we started off small enough that we could stay self-funded. Um, when I say we, I'm, my wife and I. Um, and yeah, I mean, it started off small enough that we didn't need to, to bring in investors as such because, you know, like, like everything, you, you don't know the plan is to be a raging success, but obviously you need to be smart about it. You need to go through the motions to be able to see how you're going to come out the other end. So um, there was decisions that I made at the start that weren't smart. I know that now, but you know, initially um, at the time it, it helped, but it, it definitely you know there was a huge cost. So we jumped into certain marketing too quick and spent too much on certain marketing that wasn't returning as well, way too fast, but. That was a that was a lesson all in itself. So yeah, once I think after the third shipment, uh, the business pretty much became self-funded. Like it, it provided you know it pays for everything now or obviously now. But after that third initial um, that shipment, so the third time we brought product in after that, then it started. So you paid for both the marketing as well as the each product that was brought in after that by itself. So is that scary? Like making a big order from China and then just waiting for it to come? <clears throat> yep, yep, nervous as hell. Um, the, the biggest thing is to... And the reason why I asked that is because, um, you know, we, we purchase things from overseas and I don't know, like a lot of these websites don't look that trustworthy. <laughs> like they don't look as... Do you know what I mean? Like it's not, they're not like what you imagine them to look like. If that, to anyone who's never gone through this process, oh. like, do you know what I mean? Like they yeah. look like, it looks like it could be a scam. <laughs> Yeah, and, then, and look, that, that is a real, real difficult thing. And that's where going going there has made a huge difference. So I've been to China um, two or three times now um, over the last few years. And we planned to make another trip just before Corona hit. So, you know, our, our plan was to ramp that up even further. So, you know, long term, my goal is that, you know, I'll have, I'll be going there twice a year. So the plan will be go there maybe say uh, January, January, February, just before Chinese New Year, make your, do the order, and then go back um, to actually check that before it leaves, 
as well as make you know an order for the second half of the year so that we're constantly we're both checking you know an order while it's there as well as then placing for the next because when ordering from china or anyway we, we order from a couple of different countries now but when ordering from overseas there's a huge time frame that a lot of people don't take into consideration and this is where corona you know coronavirus really sort of threw us into a spin you know sort of to your initial question you know about stock on it or what was the biggest difficult part about coronavirus was that stock from turnaround from ordering to arrival you know can be four or five months so it's something that you know we've got really we've got really good at it now it still can be improved um where we're making sure that you know we've got stock for the next four to five months so we're keeping an eye on everything we sell per week and we're plugging that into our program that we run so that it then gives us an idea of stock on hand and selling weeks remaining. So it then tells us, all right, you've got six months worth of selling stuff. But once that hits five months, we order because we then know that in five months' time when we're out, it's going to it's going to take all of that five months to become back in. And the idea is to have a bit of an overlap as well because it's always the best sellers that go out first. So yeah, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot more timing involved with this than I think most people would probably realise. Hey. So many people, you know, it's a, I get it all the time, oh, you just get product and sell it. It's, you know, yeah, okay, if you break it, you know, sort of skip a few steps, yeah, sure, that's what it is, but there's so much more to it. You know, it's, when we order from Australia, you know, when we get a few things made here, um, it's fantastic. Get it made, get it done, pick it up, happy days. But when you order overseas, it's, um, yeah, there's, there's so many things, you know, there's, there's currency to take into consideration. There's shipping times from China, so you know there's certain times of the year that it's just not worth bringing a container in. Last year we got caught really badly um, with China, um, and a container left late, so we ended up paying nearly thirty to forty percent more for that container than what we should have, yeah, because of time. So there's a lot of planning that goes into making sure that you're, you know, in a good spot for for the year. Yeah. Um, because without product, you're not making sales. You know, during coronavirus, yes, we could pre-sale, uh, and that was fantastic. But that's not something that you know normally you can do. The only reason we could do it during coronavirus was because everybody, every fitness brand was in the same spot. Yeah. You know, if you if you wanted that product, you had to pre-order. Yeah. Because it was going to sell out before it landed, and meant that you then have to wait another however many months. So yeah, but whereas normally that's something that you know people aren't gonna wait has it been difficult to navigate post uh i guess you guys have had it differently because you guys in melbourne actually have just actually come out of another lockdown uh has it been difficult to navigate as a business post i mean since just i guess the start of the pandemic because i mean i guess there's like an there's I, I don't want to. I don't want to use the word false sense of uh, economic inflation or lack of inflation, but something like that. Do you know what I mean? A hundred percent. So, and that it's it's really funny you bring that up. So, you know, normally, you know, when you're evaluating a business, you know, you're normally working off a period of time times three to four net profit or two to three net profit. You know, during the last 12 months, businesses have been valuing themselves at like four to five times 
So people have over-evaluated their businesses. I know, like I've seen a couple of businesses in recent got for sale, and pre the pandemic, they weren't near, they weren't worth anywhere near that. You know, businesses that are going for, or putting themselves up for sale for five million, may have only been worth two and a half pre-pandemic. Yeah. So it's, it's really made a huge difference. Um, and the, the big problem is too, and this was something that during the coronavirus, the pandemic, you know, the worst of it, which was when our sales really spiked, because I guess something for people to understand now is things have plateaued with the, what you call the fitness sales. They're not, they're not, as, they're not as what they were. You know, during the pandemic, we were, oh, we were, most sales that we've ever done, and I know there's a couple of really large companies out there, both based in Adelaide and in Melbourne, that were in the exact same boat. You know, they were four to five times their normal sales, which, you know, when you're already starting at a, you know, with those guys, starting from a higher point than what we were, that's huge. You know, so, so it was for us too. It was huge sales during the pandemic, during the worst of it. Whereas now things have slowed down. There are a lot of businesses out there that I, I think would have adjusted to that type of cash flow. Yeah. Whereas now it's really slowed down. And it's something that we were super mindful of. <clears throat> we reinvested into certain areas of our business. We rebranded during coronavirus. We um, upped our uh, ad spend during coronavirus. So we spent a lot of money on testing waters that we knew that we were able to do. That t- at that time, and that when things slowed down cash flow-wise, we weren't going to be able to do. So we really reinvested during that time. So you know, which meant that afterwards, and it has paid off now, that we've got we've got great data that we can work off, as well as we've rebranded ourselves, um, and I think we're in a much better position now than what we were pre, you know, coronavirus or pandemic starting. Um, so. And that was something we were prepared for. We knew that we were going to come down. We knew that we weren't going to you know, stay at this peak for forever. So it's something that we really prepared ourselves for. So that, whereas I think a lot of people haven't done that, and I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens over the next, you know, I reckon four to six months in certain businesses. Yeah, yeah, 100%. What's your drive in business when it gets harder, it gets challenging? Like, what's the thing that that drives you forward? Yeah, so, yeah, so at the moment, eh, we're starting to see that things we're working harder for the same money and i guess what's keeping me motivated is that i am in this in, the, in for the long haul i am in for the, you know i want to get back to the sales of what we were doing during the pandemic but, okay but even uh, even with that like what makes you be in it for because I, I always find this interesting with um i always find it interesting with uh so I'll, I'll give you like an example to maybe listeners to maybe get some context to what I'm saying. But I started doing jujitsu like a year and a half ago, uh, and um, and it's really hard. And I knew it was going to be hard, and I'm terrible at it, so I have to work really hard to try and be not so terrible at it. Um, but it's funny because I see people try it or started, and um, you know I, I can see sometimes like that. I know why I'm going to do it. Like, I, I told myself when I started, I'm like, I'm going to do this for at least 10 years. I could break my back. I'm still going to try and do it for the next 10 years, right? And I and I understand my own motivations as to why I'm doing it and blah, blah. But I see people when they first start and I see that it gets hard or it's challenging or, you know, it's maybe more confronting than what they realize is going to be. And, you know, like, I, I, guess I see the quit in people, right? Because it's like, um, you know, it's physical and it's 
it's combative it's combative um you know like it's it's literally easy to see the quit in someone's face um and i've i've always found it really interesting because i always relate that to business where um I've always had this, I, I hate quitting. So that's, that's kind of my motivator for my personal motivator for business. Like it's, it's that I don't want to be a quitter. I was a quitter a lot of my life growing up. Like I didn't pursue things. Um, so now I, I can redeem myself as an adult. And I always find that really interesting with people in, whether it's business, fitness, uh, what, what any aspect, any, even like sometimes in marriages and relationships when people just stick it out and they, they work through those aches and pains. Like I, I, I always find it interesting to know, like what's that thing that just like, What's that? Uh, what's that nook inside your heart that you're trying to like uh, work through? Yeah, look for uh, for me personally, it's it's a case of I probably don't like the idea of of quitting myself. Um, I probably don't, you know, the idea of, of quitting to to me. I <clears throat> I've always going back to that story I mentioned before about sort of you know creating my own fire. When I started GND, there was a real fire in my belly of this is something I want to do. This is something that I, I want to be successful at. So, you know, we, we've had to reposition certain things that we've done through time to make that success possible. And we're still, in my eyes, we're still not there. We're, we're not, I'm not at the point of, uh, of, of doing this full time. So this is still, you know, I'm still working um, as well as doing this. So for me, you know, I see that there's success. I see that there's a a real spot in the market for us, um, and that's that's evident through you know all our reviews, you know on our website. That's you know evident from our sales. So there's potential. I guess you know what sort of drives me now is I grew up in a in a family that was always you know my, my dad was always working, um, but he provided a, a great lifestyle for us. You know we weren't. We weren't rich or anything like that, but we were. We we're always comfortable, you know. If we, you know, we might go to Queensland every second year, or you know, like a we went to Northern Territory bit. Um, so we, you know, we'd go on a holiday maybe every couple of years, but you know, we'd always go away to you know, a close a place locally every few months or something like that for the weekend and whatever. And you know, although Dad worked all the time, he was always able to take that time to stay with us as as we're growing up. And that was awesome because for us, you know, we were always able to go somewhere. And again, you might be just for the weekend or whatever, but, you know, they were great memories for me. And I find that if I really want to be able to provide that too for my kids, so obviously I've got a 15 month old, my wife's pregnant with our second, so I want to be able to do that. Um, I want to provide that for my kids, you know, I, I want to have that flexibility in what I would do. I want to, you know, and also I think too. You know, probably something I did. A, I did a I don't know what you call it, like a personality test or something. Um, anyway, and it, it's this. It was a survey, and it sort of sh- it was showing you your highest values. And to me, business was one of my highest values, along with family. So, I, and I don't find that I get as much fulfillment from someone else's business as what I do my own. So, my drive is to have my own business, and at the moment, that's GND Fitness. If eventually that transitions into something slightly different, it will always have to be in line with my personal passions. But um, you know, for me personally, I know in my heart, if GND Fitness will be what will take me to both, you know, not only just working on it full time, but also to you know, larger success and in you know other areas, doing other things. So um, 
I guess that's what drives me is just I know I know one day it'll be um, a much bigger uh, thing than it is right now. Um, but again, worst case scenario, it's just a huge lesson. I always look at it and think, you know, people pay what a hundred grand to go and do a, a MBA, or you know, maybe even more to do certain, you know, courses at university, and the practical experience in that is probably quite minimal. Uh, and there's no disrespect to the people that do it. I'd love to do that one day myself. But you know, I look at this as my education. I look at this as my university degree course, if you will. Yeah, you yeah, of course. Learning about all the you know finances, inventory, all those different things. Uh, one of the things that I think um, I observed from what you just said is, and I think it's really common against um, amongst everyone who pursues a thing for a long time. Um, is just that whole betting on yourself like it's that you need to have that i think which is really important in business like you need to have that self-confidence where like you really need to believe in the thing that you're trying to do like because at the start you know when you start something generally people don't often believe in it Uh, maybe 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 friends will support it because of your friends or whatever but like you need to have so much of that personal belief and you know, that vision needs to be so, like, exciting or clear to you that you're just, like, you can't wait to get up every morning and, and go pursue it. And, yeah. and that's, like, an it's an in, intang, intangible and it's unteachable, I think. Yeah, it is. It is, absolutely. And I think it comes back to, you know, you live in your highest value, if you will, or, you know, what, what's most important to you, um, you know, you're actually doing. I, I see, you know, I, I think I mentioned to you the other day that, you know, I see people all the time, they work in a job, they love it, they do it, maybe it's for the money, maybe it's for little perks, but they don't really love it at the end of the day. There's no fulfillment. It's, you know, it's sort of, you know, it's something they've got to do, I guess. Um, for me, you know, the, the day job is providing, um, I guess, money right now, but whereas, you know, long term, I think something, you know, this to me is what provides fulfillment. So if I can, you know, if I can get both those things combined, you know, both the revenue and the fulfillment, I think that's where true success is, you know, even if it's not an international brand or whatever, if it's something that, you know, you love doing each day, you're getting up, you're enjoying it, because that's, you know, you're going home, you're a happier person, you're, you're, you know, you're a better father to your kids, you're a better husband to your wife, you're a better friend to your friend, you know, all those things. If you're miserable and you hate what you're doing, is the money worth it? Is the you know, I think sometimes you know, finding what you actually really want to do is so important. So for me, that's what GND is. You know, when when we have a, a crappy week or when things aren't performing, I guess for me it's a case of, well, you know, you're always got a game plan, you've always got a strategy, so that helps. You know, um, not doing anything obviously um, breeds anxiety. Whereas you know, if you're actually you're actively going, okay, what caused that problem? How do I fix that problem? I think that relieves it, you know, the anxiety from a, from a business perspective or, um, you know, personal perspective. So for me, it's always about, I'm a problem solver. So, you know, for me, when a problem arises, as long as I've got a solution, I can come up with a strategy, then, you know, I'm pretty comfortable in myself to go, I know this will change, I know this will get better. So I guess that's what drives me. And, and I'm lucky I've got a really good team around me. You know, I've got a couple of, um, you know, my design is an absolute legend based here in um, in Melbourne. Uh, you know, a guy that runs my ads, you know, he's based up in Queensland. Again, another legend. Um, 
and you know, I think too because of my passion, these guys really have a passion too. So they, you can see their heart and soul get poured into what they do for me. So it's um, and that helps. I think a, a solid team around you really, really helps. You know, there's only I think entrepreneurs, there is this you know need. A lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs are probably control freaks, and I am absolutely. But I think sometimes having the, employing the right people, having the right people around you as an entrepreneur is key to success. You know, I remember I met a guy, he had just sold his business when I met him for 350 million and based here in Melbourne. And I remember he said, at any one time when I was in working in my business, if I was ever having a meeting, I was, I was not the smartest person in the room. I was, yeah. the, you know, I was the stupidest person in the room. You know, if I was sitting with my head of marketing, my head of, you know, purchasing, head of whatever, if I was with, you know, majority of my senior staff, I was the stupidest person in the room. I, I employed people that could do a job that I couldn't do or could do it far better than I could do. And that, he said, is key to success. And that's where I really sort of made sure that whoever's around me, whoever's doing it, whatever, whatever a case may be, for GND is somebody that, you know, far smarter and you know, far better than what I could do. I think that's such a, um, there's so much truth to that statement that, um, that business owner told you. I mean, I've heard that so many times where I've heard of that as you, as your business grows, you know, it's, it's much more about just, you have to be get, you have to, your job becomes, can you make a really good team and can you keep that team motivated more than it is about the actual things that maybe you were doing at the start of it. And, um, you know, and I do think that's a huge, um, I think that's a big difference between people who, who become very successful in business and those who maybe struggle a little bit. Um, I think a lot of those entrepreneurs who become, uh, maybe who are still very attached to their ego, uh, want to want to take a, gl- a lot of glory for everything that is is being done, or they want to uh, f- they still get a lot of the fulfillment from the th- the activity or the thing, um, as opposed to a lot of those people who are able to scale. Um, I know that's a bit of, a bit of a, th- a word that gets thrown around a lot in 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 business circles, but yeah, when you want to scale. It comes down to, I think, a lot of times about like surrounding yourself with a good team and, and hiring people that are the right pl- the right people for your team and firing people who aren't the appropriate ones for your team. Yeah, it's it's so so true. You know, I've seen it through my, you know, like with GND Fitness, I've seen it time and time again. Um, so the guy I mentioned who's in Brisbane, um, he. He's the third person that I've had doing that role. And, you know, I was at the point where I sort of thought, maybe this doesn't suit our business. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure a lot of people would. Is this like you know, with go, um, marketing and stuff? So many people. Sorry? Is this marketing? Yeah, marketing. Yeah. Yep. So, he's, uh, so he runs my Google Ads. Um, and, you know, he runs a Facebook Ads as well. And, you know, this. so just before I met him, I was at the point of, yeah, exactly that. I don't think they're for us. I think, you know, it's not for our business because I'd had the wrong people doing it and I sort of had to step back and, and you know, being being a passionate person, I really try and instill that in the people that I work with um, because, you know, and I always say to them, it, it's ours, it's not, not just mine. You know, if you're involved in this, if you're a part of it, it's yours as well. Like, you know, it, it needs to feel like yours. It's not that. I don't want it to feel like a job because again, you know, I want the, I want people to work for me to feel that a little bit of that fulfillment as well because if they're enjoying what they're doing, they're doing a better job. You know, it's um, when you know when you need to sort of 
you know, light a fire under them. You can do it in a way that's not coming down on them really hard or, or you know, being quite abrupt and abrasive. You, you can have a conversation with them and, you know, say that whatever is not good enough is not good enough. And, you know, they again take it on board as, okay, it, it's, a, it's more of them being upset with themselves. You know, they start, yeah, because they feel this part, this sense of enjoyment or, or sense of it's theirs as well that, you know, they're disappointed themselves. So, and I think that's something you can't achieve without having a really strong team. If, if people are just treating it like a, 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 you know, nine to five, just it is what it is, it's not my fault or not my job, it, you know, once I've left, I've left. You know, that they're the type of people that, you know, really don't get you anywhere because there's no passion, there's no love. It's just a, do what you've got to do. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a good team uh, and I'm only super small still now, and I, I noticed that yeah, just having the team that that I have around me is is absolute absolute paramount. Um, you know, I had someone recently that you know really didn't last with us long, and there was a passion that you know she had a passion. She was good, um, so she was involved in a, uh, an area of marketing for us, and it was a real shame. You know, we started to see a, a real uplift. Um, when she started, and we, you know, we saw a huge improvement on what we were doing previously, and um, yeah, it was such a shame that you could see her passion had sort of drifted away. Her, you know, her her drive, if you will, wasn't there anymore, and and you saw that come through her work. You know, you could see the difference. She was still probably working the same hours. She was still putting in the same hours, but you could see there was no love in what she did. Yeah, you know, it was it, it was the bare minimum. So, you know, not having that um, person that has a passion or shares the passion that you share, you know, straight away, you, you, you're losing. You're, you're back to, you know, sort of just having any old person doing the role. Yeah. Man, we've, um, we've done 50 minutes. It's good. <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah um, if people... Well, I'll have to get you back on the show, man. Like, um, yeah, probably probably only asked like three or four of the questions that I wanted to ask um, but no that's good I think I think no this, this is good like there's a lot of good content there for uh, just I think people if they're interested in business or people are interested in knowing how um, you know just kind of like the basics of, um, of an e- e-commerce business maybe some good advice as to maybe why you shouldn't do drop shipping um, and you know just I could I think just it's always good and in if you are in business it's always important to get insight from other business owners to know through their struggles their oh, wins great. Um, and all these different sorts of things. Um, so, Garth, if you want to, um, if you want to find out more about your business, how can they do so? Where should they go follow you? So, uh, gndfitness.com.au, or we've got our Instagram and uh, Facebook, which is just gndfitness. Um, yeah, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and uh, go to the website. Cool. Um, make sure to send listeners that way. Um, thanks so much, brother, for coming on th- coming on today. I um, really cool. appreciate it. Um, and yeah, we'll um, definitely have to have you on in the future. Sounds good.